Hello, welcome to uh, today's episode of Frivolous Gravitas, where we'll be talking with a lot of gravitas on more biological matters, uh, specifically um, development. Uh, for this, we've brought in a resident uh, expert, uh, Megan, who is uh, also with us. Uh, we also have Chris, who hasn't left. Uh, Hello. Yeah, so, he's still there. <laughs> we're still all here. Uh, but we thought it would be better to bring in someone else and uh, give this a bit of a fresh look at things. So if you guys are getting sick of us, here's something a bit new. So I'll uh, hand it over to our uh, guest, Megan, to uh, tell us a little about your expertise and where you're coming from. Okay. Hi, my name's Megan. Um, I um, I have um, one and a half degrees in biology-related fields. Um, I'm working on my degree in pharmacy right now. So um, I have a lot more background in biology than these other two guys here. Um, what? what was your original degree in? <laughs> my first degree was actually in genetics. Um, and so I have like a pretty big background. I've taken a couple courses in developmental biology as well. So that's kind of where I'm grabbing a lot of this information from. Um, so my kind of what I wanted to talk about today was biological sex development, um, kind of a little bit about how that works. I'm going to start like with pretty basic biology and talk about how it, basically when your baby's born, is it male or female? And then talk about that process and a little bit about sometimes the baby comes out and you're like, it's a, I don't know. So you have to, what, what do we do from there and what kind of things can go wrong to make that? Or what kind of things can happen that make that um, make a baby born that's not obviously male or female? So um, I wanted to start from like the most simple things. Um, humans are made of cells. Cells contain DNA in the nucleus. Nucleus is a part inside the cell. Um, DNA is a big long substance with four different what we call nucleotides, but basically it's a code with four different things in it, variations. Um, and it basically just contains blueprints and the blueprints tell you when, how, like, and they give you instructions for how to make proteins. Proteins are the things that do everything in your cell. So they can catalyze reactions. They form the structure. They do transport. They signal their hormones. They do energy transfer. Basically everything that your body needs to do, it's done by proteins and proteins are how to make proteins is written in the code of the DNA. So that's how that works. Um, I hope that's somewhat clear. Um, so it does sound very it, it does sound very simple, but um, we're not dealing with just a couple tiers of uh, of uh, you, know, you have the DNA of the protein, you have uh, the cell, but it's it's almost infinitely compl more complicated than that, which is why oh, yes. I guess um, we're talking about this instead of being like. Uh, because we right now we're having this debate in society, <clears throat> in like almost global society, um, where we have these um, obvious distinctions between um, male and female. Uh, but within that, it's obviously uh, it's obvious that we have this um, almost uh, bimodal. Uh, you know, mechanism for uh, procreation, which manifests in male and female, which are both um, uh, 
biologically determined and culturally defined at the same time. They, you can't really have one without the other. But at the same time, we have these... Um, now, it's easy to call something outside of this an anomaly, but when not everything quite, kind into of fits into more. this. Yeah. Later. So, but, um, so we have these uh, things that lie outside that simple man, woman come together uh, to uh, create a baby. Um, but it's, but biology is never that cut and dry and you know, never ever. Um, so, um, I'm, yeah, I'm studying pharmacy, so I can tell you it's very rare that we know exactly a hundred percent how things work and what they're doing. And it's medical science is complicated. So I am trying to, <laughs> I'm definitely leaving stuff out, but, um, just to like continue with my little story of biology. Sorry if I cut you off there, Jordan. Um, um just trying to keep you going. <laughs> yeah. So like once, so you have this DNA sitting in your nucleus, which can code for, which has a code that tells you when it doesn't just tell you how the proteins are made, but it tells you there's different sequences that tell you when proteins are supposed to be made and how much. And that is also determined by other factors in there. So you might have a protein that you don't need unless you're like super stressed out. And what it does is it raises your blood pressure so that you can go run away from a bear. So that thing is only going to happen when you really need it. So you can, this, things are changed, like it, your body adapts to what's going on in the. This, does this act kind of like around. an if statement? So, a little bit, yeah. It's, uh, it's um, only triggered when, you know, uh, certain, because a reaction, <clears throat> like an emotion, like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that's triggered like fight or flight. So you get that, that rush of. Uh, yeah, fight or flight is not a great example and, because it's like fight or flight is so fast. Like making well, new proteins takes Something a while. Like you, you, you're looking at, uh, you're walking down the street and it's, you know, foggy and boring and cloudy out. And all of a sudden you look over and there's a poster and there's this attractive woman there. And then all of a sudden oh, your body, okay. well, it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. a stimulus that uh, affects a change in the chemistry of the body. And the, it, your body, you know, sees the, the form and all of a sudden, uh, you know, things start processing and your body's like, oh, I like that. And uh, which uh, is a biological response, right? It is. And that's more of like a hormone response rather than like actually making new proteins. A better example would be like inflammation. So you get a cut and you get bacteria in your cut and your body recognizes that there's foreign material now. And this starts off a huge, incredibly complicated chain reaction that um, you have a lot of things going on. And one of them is that you'll get these things called transcription factors. And what they do is they bind to DNA and just tell, like in very specific spots, because DNA is a code and parts of the code are like waiting for one specific protein to bind to it. So they'll bind to the DNA and then basically say, make this protein. And what that protein does is it can like increase blood flow to the area. It will like bring in the like cells that eat other cells. It will activate your like antibody response. It's so like, that's kind of what I'm, what I mean by transcription. And that's something that's really important for development because in development, you'll get, um, you'll start with like a very, what, what we call stem cells. So if, we've probably all heard of stem cells. They can, they're cells that have the potential to be any cell in your body, but 
just haven't developed into that yet. So you have stem cells in your body all the time, like your blood has, you have stem cells in your bone marrow that form all of the cells in your blood, including your immune cells and like your red blood cells and um, all those guys. So these, you, you start as an embryo with just the, um, with just being like your, the fertilized egg is basically just a stem cell and it will divide um, several times and then it will start to like form more complex structures, but this is all guided by concentrations of transcription factors. Um, what we call them, like they, we even call them like master regulators is the really big ones that say like make an arm or like make this organ here. So transcription, um, the, we use, you're using this word uh, transcription. Um, yeah, it's a very specific biological word. So I'll just, just so that I'm making it make sense. Um, your DNA can't leave the nucleus. It's stuck in there. Um, so, but we need to make proteins out of it. Like we need to use it to make proteins. So how do your, how does your body do this? So basically what it does is it copies that, like your DNA is a very stable molecule, but what it does is it copies it into what we call mRNA, messenger RNA. So it's RNA, which is like DNA, but it has like the sugar is different. The sugar has like one more OH group on it. Um, the hence D DNA being deoxyribonucleic acid. Um, RNA is just ribonucleic acid. It doesn't have that deoxy, which is like a lack of oxygen. So okay. it, that, and that lack of oxygen makes it more stable. Um, so <laughs> tell me if I'm getting too complex. Um, but the, so your RNA isn't as stable, but what it can do is it can leave your nu the nucleus. So it goes, it gets some editing being done. It gets like big chunks of it spliced out. And the chunks that it's spliced out is just like regulatory sequences or other things that we're not sure what they do. Um, and then it gets brought out of the cell and then you have a separate system called translation, which makes that into a protein. And that's through like ribosomes. Uh, that's a whole other process that, but just as long as you recognize that the RNA, it gets, your DNA gets transcribed into RNA and then your RNA can leave the nucleus and then be turned into a protein. Well, not turned into a protein, but then red, and then it's a code for protein. And that okay. code also includes like where it needs to go as well. And if it so needs further So why don't we mods. just like, why don't we first off follow you through your whole step-by-step -step from start okay. to finish? And then after you're done that, we'll start picking apart um, the okay. parts that are unclear, just so that we get sure. the big scope first and then we'll refine our... Okay. Yeah. So that was like most of the cellular cellular biology that I really needed to focus on. Um, I also just need to talk a little bit about I don't, mitosis and meiosis, which is... Mitosis is just the process of your cells splitting in half. Um, I don't need to talk about like the specific phases, um, but know that the two that the cells that it forms at the end are completely identical to the first cell, and that's the point. Like you have like a lot of your cells in your body that just need, you just need to replace them. They'll they'll just replace themselves with, like that. Um, and then we've got a thing called meiosis, and this is for making your gametes. So I'm going to focus on like. The male process just because it's more simple but um basically you have your like your precursors to sperm and they are there so um let me back up for one second so just to i didn't actually talk about chromosomes yet so your dna is organized into 23 separate chromosomes chunks of dna they're very long um but they are and they're organized by size like there's nothing mystical about what makes chromosome five and chromosome six it's just 
the biggest one is chromosome one and the smallest one is chromosome 22. That's, that's all it is. Um, and then also like your chromosome 23 is what's their sex chromosomes. That's your X and Y. Um, generally, I will get to the exceptions of this. XX is a female and XY is a male. So, um, when Henry VIII was really mad that none of his wives would give him sons, it was actually his fault because the men determined the gender, the sex of the baby, because the men are the one, because women only have X's, so they can only contribute X's, uh, men contribute X or Y, so it was actually his fault. Um, so, yeah, that's how that works. So, just to talk through the process of meiosis, because we need you need to know a little bit about this to just know how the chromosomes are split up. So you have your like one precursor cell, which still has your 46 chromosomes. So you've got one copy of each from each of your parents. So chromosome one, you have one from mom, one from dad. Same for every single one. Um, of course, there's always exceptions. Um, there are a couple of cases where you can have different numbers of chromosomes and still be like viable. Down syndrome is trisomy 22. Um, or 21, sorry, trisomy 21. So you have three could, chromosome 21s. Um, could you um, explain the word viable? Because viable. Like- I'm sorry, I, I, that's a very specific term. I just mean that it you like are able to be born and be alive. That's all I mean. Um, so right. you have, we also, there's a couple other trisomies as well, but they either are spontaneous abortions or they only live for like months or days. Um, so what I mean by viable, I'm not trying to like say anything social. I just mean that they're able to survive and like be alive. Yeah. That's all I mean. Um, so thanks for me for correcting me on that. Um, yeah, that's not really a correction. It's, just, <laughs> it's a, it's a word. It's, it's like someone could call someone. You're not viable. It's like, mm. So no, it's, yeah. yeah, it's used different in science than in yeah, general population. Yeah. Like. <laughs> There's well, and it's like a genetics kind of term for there's like some, um, like if you, there's some gene mutations that like you that you cannot make a human without this gene working, so it's considered non-viable. Like it maybe it will be born and live for two days, but it like won't have a brain. So like that's considered not viable. That's so that's mm-hmm. that's what I mean by that. Um. Anyway, so going back to your just meiosis process, um, there. So what your the goal of this one is to create a genetically new cell, different cell that has only half the chromosome complement that a normal cell does. Because to make the baby, you want to have like some from mom and some from dad, right? Because you're both going to have half the number of chromosomes so that when there is fertilization, now you have the proper number of of chromosomes. So um, there is also an important point, which will come up when I talk about SRY translocations. Don't worry, I'll get to it. Um, Where all of your chromosomes, so all the ones you get from mom and all the ones you get from dad, they line up in a way that all the genes are like lined up together and they exchange information. So at the end of this process, you will have created a new chromosome in your sperm or egg that has like pieces from your mom and pieces from your dad. And they're so lined then, up in order, right? Like in order, order so that all the genes number match three up. Goes to number three and they'll take half of number three from one side, half of number three yeah. from the other side and make a new number three. 
Yeah, pretty much. Um, there'll be like several different pieces of crossover. So you get like one chunk. This is from like if you're looking at your own genes, it'll be like this chunk's from grandma, this chunk's from grandpa, this chunk's from grandma, and so on. So that's done too. Like it like ex like increases the amount of variation in the kids by like just an obscene amount. It's an incredibly useful process to create more diversity. Because um, it's like is, exponentially, right? Ever, yeah, well, binary, yeah. Exponentially binary. Very much, like a huge amount. Um, and there is also, so your X and Y chromosomes, um, just to jump back for a second. The X is a huge chromosome, like it's massive. Um, and the Y chromosome is very small. So, and the Y chromosome does not have like a huge amount of genes on it, but it does have some in common with the X. So they do actually do undergo this process as well. So there is some exchange between X and Y. Not a lot, but there is a little bit. Um, and yeah, just to increase the, uh, the diversity in those areas as well. Okay, um, does that make sense so far? <laughs> sort of, kind of. So um, now that we have the like cellular basics, um, we can go into like how this stuff, how like the development process actually works. So, um, so after you have like fertilization, it usually takes about a week before it's implanted in the uterus. Um, but during that time, there's lots of cell division, and also they're like reorganizing themselves and is, creating different tissue types. Yeah, so this is after conception. Yeah, after conception. So um, maybe because we because we have the gametes sitting in their little uh, gamete part, the uh, the, yeah. the testes. And they're the, made in the, the testes ovum. or ovaries. Yeah. Yeah, and so then they do their thing where they go to that place where they can. Uh, interact with the other side of their gamete. Um, I suppose, yes. <laughs> being very diplomatic here. Um, nope. But uh, so then we're, we're, we're kind of skipping ahead to the part where they, you know, meet each other. And yeah. He means sex. <laughs> He's talking about sex. Um, yeah, that's, I, I was also skipping over that. Um, another more for interest sakes, um, just because I'm talking in the area, um, a lot of like, so you, you've heard that like women make all their eggs when they're like still in utero. So they actually like stop twice during their like cell meiosis cell division part. So they don't actually like fully finish their like making of a proper like cell with half the genetic complement until they're fertilized. So they stop once like when the, when the girl is still like a fetus. And then it, um, it, the process resumes partially um, when the egg is being ovulated or like when it's being prepared to be ovulated. And then so it stops like putting, again until fertilized. Yeah. So it's like putting food in the freezer and then taking it out when you're ready to eat it. Pretty much. Whereas men just, <laughs> men just you know, buy it from the store and then that's it. They got to eat it right away. Yeah, um, yeah. There's no stopping. But like it's constant. You're always making that. Whereas women, once you run out, you hit menopause and suffer. <laughs> something to look forward to um yeah because god's got a sense of humor sure we'll go with that terrible um, terrible sense of humor irony so is funny we did our like <laughs> sex um reproductive health section last semester and it's like man sometimes i wish it was a guy holy crap just anyway <laughs> pissing in the woods <laughs> yeah like yeah that's definitely a 
you have to pee and you're outside and you're like there are a few downsides my directional urethra <laughs> yeah um yeah but free drinks at the bar <laughs> another episode maybe <laughs> or i guess maybe. just later gender differences that's still applicable yeah okay yeah. We, we can we can still distributing them cultural mm-hmm. differences in 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 gender might be uh yeah well yeah some have a lot more difference speak. than others um yeah. mm, but do proceed yes yeah. okay um so where was i uh we were talking yeah okay jordan got distracted because i talked about sex a little bit Um, it was good that we took a detour (laughs) okay yeah that's that is i was talking about that yeah so um you have them the sperm and egg meeting in a lovely fashion or whatever and then the once the fertilization happens then the ovum finishes it's like the rest of its meiosis um and then it combine that nuclei combine and then the, the like whole dividing process starts so it's just growing or no it doesn't grow it just divides it's called cleavage okay i was expecting giggles um, <laughs> um cleavage is just cell division without growth but um so it divides a whole bunch into like smaller cells and then they start to like reform and then they start to like differentiate which is a word that just means they're now becoming because i talked about stem cells have potential to become anything as they differentiate they lose the potential to become certain things so once it becomes like uh endothelial cell then it can't become skin anymore so like it's it narrows it's it narrows itself down in scope the more you go because like crosses the rubicon basically of its own development (laughs) you can go further down a branch but it can't step back once it hits a certain point that's the differentiation actually can't we can do that um there was a Nobel prize awarded for that um a few years ago i don't remember which year it was but we i remember that yeah yeah, we did find there was four genes that you can use to like get skin cells and then turn them back into stem cells and then redifferentiate them. But um, we're talking generally speaking, your fingernail doesn't yeah. become a finger again. No, once once it's there, it's <laughs> that it's would there. be awkward. That's what it is. Our like, hair grew heads of hair. <laughs> <laughs> it just starts making muscle cells on the outside of your body. I yeah, know that's gross. Um, yeah, so it starts to do that development, and then you get the formation of both malarian ducts and wolfian ducts. So these are like malarian ducts. If they continue to develop, will form the like female anatomy. So the uterus, the cervix, all that stuff. The wolfian ducts will form the male anatomy, which I'm sure I don't need to explain, but I can. Um, so all so there is a point where all human fetuses have both of these systems in place. Do you know what so, period roughly in the gestation? Is- I do. That was my next point. So this. <laughs> In, so in the seventh week of development is kind of where they're both like present and sitting there. Um, so this is week seven. Um, if the so I talked about I mentioned the SRY region earlier. I told you I'd get back to it. So it's um, it's a gene that exists on the Y chromosome normally, um, and it makes a protein called the TDF or the testes determining factor. And what this does is it just says, hey, body, make a penis. That's what it does. So it's, um, it's a, one of those transcription factors. It leads to, the, to another transcription factor, which basically what it does is it tells the malarian structures, so the ones that have the possibility to become female structures, 
it tells them to stop developing so then they die off and that it also there's like several different mechanisms but it basically starts making testosterone um dihydrotestosterone which is like testosterone but more potent um and a couple other things and then that makes it finish making the wolfian structures which is your male structures so that's what that region does um the SRY region on your Y chromosome. So that is why generally, if you see a Y chromosome, you can assume it's a male. So what exactly, just for the terminology's sake, what's mm -hmm. the the relationship between SRY and TDF? Yeah, so the SRY is like the, the physical gene, the part of the DNA, that co the code, and the TDF is the protein that's created by interpreting that DNA. Ah, I see. Thank yeah. you. Um, genetics has like an obscene amount of nomenclature. Um, oh, that's good. That's what you're here yeah. for. Like, honestly, that's my favorite part of all this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, like even in my notes that I made for this, I like made sure to italicize the gene name because you're supposed to italicize the gene and not the protein. Like it's just nice. And then there's like capitals and not capitals, depending on whether it's mouse or not. Like it's, yeah, there's a lot going on. So, um, yeah, so basically, so if there, you don't have that that um, TDF present, the protein present, then there are also other processes to like promote female develop, but they're not female development, but they're not as well understood. Um, there's a couple of reasons for this. One of them is that doing experiments in human embryos is not a thing that we can do. Um, it's incredibly unethical. Like you can't just like make a test tube baby and then grow it up for eight eight weeks and then just kill it when you're done or the other thing or like make one and then delete a specific gene and then see how it develops wrong like that's just not a thing we can do with humans um, intentionally give it genetic defects <laughs> yeah that's well because that's how genetics is, has been studied like that's how that early should yeah. do yeah that's what i mean um they are doing it in china and russia and russia so can we prove that or are we just saying yes, things people that, who had surgeries that would not otherwise be accounted for were it not for their account of being abducted and yeah well, I've, i mean there's i've heard there of the are, gene harvesting not the gene the 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 uh the organ harvesting. organ harvesting um yeah there was like those is, they do them in tandem though usually it's a poor family <laughs> exploit or somebody who's in prison and they do a lot to their prisoners too or the encampments uh, of the yeah. uyghurs and the fongong yeah. and whatever there was definitely a rumor that that bodies exhibit that was around like 10 years ago or so was yeah, like Chinese, like political prisoners. Yeah. People um, were saying that they looked strikingly Asian. Yeah. So anyway, I went to that exhibit. I thought it was cool. I also didn't know that until like years later. So um, anyway, yeah, they were protesting right outside my work because the exhibit was downtown on Portage here in Winnipeg. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, I guess I was the just Paris building next to it. I guess I just didn't. Oh well, maybe I saw you then. Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I smoked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was like a plucky high school girl, so. <laughs> um, yeah. Where was I going with this? So. Um... So can I ask you another question then? Yeah, you, sure. You did mention like hormones affecting growth and transcription factors and stuff what about mm -hmm. like hgh and you know anabolic steroids and that kind of does that affect um if you are pregnant and you're taking anabolic steroids yes that will definitely affect the sex development because do you know what roughly what do? kind of expect effect we could expect from it like does yes. it trigger certain things it or? will um 
if you're taking like a lot, you might like seriously mess up the sex development. But if you're like more accidentally exposed or just a l- like a little bit, then you might just get um, what we refer to as ambiguous genitalia. So um, they'll still like, a like clitoris and testicles kind of thing, like a clitor, like just a huge clitoris, basically. And you might get some like closing, um, but like that might ha- it might just be like minor if it's only a little bit, but, and they might still like be fertile and just develop normally as a woman, um, just from some exposure. Um, another point to note here is that 50% of pregnancies, at least the statistics that I heard from this are unplanned. Um, so it's very possible that if a woman was like using anabolic steroids and became pregnant and then didn't know about it until like a month or two in, um, that is definitely a possibility. Um, also, a sad fact is that the most, like, using alcohol is um, most devastating in, like, day, close to day 20. I want to say day 18 to 21, something like that, of, like, gestational age. So it's, um, which when is, again, still might in that first month. So, pregnant. yeah, they might not know they're pregnant. So um, I guess my message to everyone here is use contraception. Um, if you're worried, use more than one type of contraception. And if you're worried, don't drink alcohol until you know for sure. Get a pregnancy test, figure it out. Like, do your, do your best. It might still happen. Be a responsible um, human being. <laughs> but yeah, no, but like, if, yeah, it might still happen, but just try to be as responsible as you can. Uh, there's lots of options for contraception, um, not just the pill. So, um, I don't know how I came onto this topic, but <laughs> hey, it's worth noting. So um, I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, like it, there, there's more than just pill. There's injections. There's like intrauterine devices because um, a lot of people are bothered by hormones. So you get like a copper IUD as well, which has no hormones in it at all. Um, a lot of women and prefer con- that sort of thing. Condoms are still so. tried and tested for the most part. Condoms right? are condoms. still good. Um, they are. Honestly, there's data that's like less good, but I think um, there's human error inputted into some of these things. Yeah. So um, people aren't the smartest, especially in the properly. Situation. They do have expiry dates. Yes, that's a good one to note. And like always, test them and make sure. Yeah, check the expiry date. Make sure um, they're the right size. Don't use two at once. Yeah, the right size always helps. And don't use yeah. two at once. <laughs> yeah, don't just buy the biggest size to impress people. They're going to see it anyway, so they're going to know. Um, yeah, this is definitely the right size of condom. Hold on, let me get this open. Quadruple XL, like nobody. Um, so, yeah. The uh, Yeah, so just very obscene side note about that. Um, Reproductive health is super important, and I don't think enough people talk about it, just for the record. So I'm glad I you brought it up. completely agree with you. There's lots, and I've heard a lot of stories of women that have like a lot of issues with like their period. Like they're just like super depressed, or they have lots of bleeding, lots of pain. And like we talked a lot about that in my pharmacy school. So a lot of people are like aware, and I think things are starting to change for the better. Instead of just being like, "Hot, you're on your period. Sucks to be you." Bye. Like they're, they're we're starting to like learn a little bit more about how to treat like. Not even just like ser- more serious things like endometriosis, PCOS, that sort of thing, but like just I bleed a lot or I have a lot of pain, and sometimes and knowing what's more than normal and less than normal helps you. Yeah, treat 
though what right? they tell us is normal is like kind of obscene but um, <laughs> yeah the um yeah so the there's there's a lot i think women's health is getting better for sure and i think it will continue to get better and i think also like as healthcare gets like slowly overtaken by women um <laughs> Something I've definitely noticed in pharmacy is that like a lot of there's a lot more male pharmacists like 20, 30 years ago. Um, now my class is like probably two thirds female, maybe a little more. It's just an estimate. As a person who's dealt with a lot of doctors and like medical conditions and stuff, I yeah. much prefer a female pharmacist. They go out mm -hmm. of their way to take the time to make sure that you feel okay with the drugs you're taking. Whereas men pharmacists generally and stereotypically, maybe we'll get into this later. But they're more interested in making sure they've done their job so that they don't get in trouble. Sort yeah, of like I've had way that. less emphasis on the comfort of the patient. I've had that with male doctors as well, where you get um, the process is more important than the person. Yeah. It's like, well, we're coming up on the end of the time here. It's like, I haven't finished describing the problem. <laughs> yeah, and so, they want to jump to a diagnosis before they have all the data because they have enough data to jump to the diagnosis or yeah. vice versa. Like they don't it's have like name on something very, on it. I've been finding because like I guess I'm I'm not fully trained yet. I've been finding it so difficult to not just be like, oh, it's this K okay, bye. Like it's very yeah. you have to like, especially because like a lot of the people that get into like medicine and pharmacy and these types of jobs, like are pretty generally pretty smart people. I don't want to like just like tug my own <laughs> horn no, no, here, I, but um we're um but like the the kind of people are like we like being right and we like solving problems quickly and um i often find myself holding myself back and being like no think through the process what can we do don't just hand the metformin and be done with it like figure it out <laughs> so um there's yeah there's i think that's really important though like the pharmacy is the front line between the patient ultimately and the chemicals they're putting in their body like it's really yeah. important that if something was missed in the steps leading up to a prescription that the pharmacist be competent competent enough to catch it yeah and there's like lots of things that doctors don't think about like your kidney function like that's kind of one of the things that like stands out is kidney function there's a lot of there's like an endless amount of interactions and some of them aren't that bad some of them are just you're taking two drugs that could make you tired so you might be more tired and like maybe like tell them not to drive for the first little while like you kind of there's a lot going on and it's complicated and pharmacists also learn so much more about how your drug is metabolized and like how your body processes it than doctors do so there's like a advantage there and augmentations too because most of the people they meet most regularly are going to be people who have more prescriptions. So you're yes. going to be dealing a lot more with complications or inter, what do they call that? Uh, comorbid conditions and yeah. uh, interoperability, I guess, or activation. Um, comorbid just meaning you have more than one thing. So right. maybe you have like diabetes, but you also have depression and you also have like heart problems or whatever. So now instead of, now you have to worry about like, what if, or like anti-epileptics, for instance, um, all anti-epileptics have a warning on them that they increase the risk of suicide. So if you have someone that has seizures and also is depressed, now you have to like teach, tell them about this, tell them to be aware of it. So like, there's just a lot of like little 
things yeah, that the are the problem. Sort of the complexity sort of grows exponentially too, because as you have two comorbid conditions and two medications, the medications yeah. can interact with each other, but they can also interact with the other condition. Yes, as they interact with their own condition, and likewise, yes. the conditions can interact mm-hmm. with people when they're not supposed yeah like something like parkinson's is especially like oh jordan's being like why are you still talking okay um something like parkinson's is really important because there's a lot of drugs that you just shouldn't use in parkinson's because it can make the disease worse so now you have like yeah it's complicated like i said at the beginning the more you learn the worse it gets And that's why it's complicated though i think it's helpful that people hear like not just that it's complicated and some black box that nobody can possibly know, but like mm-hmm. we do know something of the thing we don't know about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to get us back on track. Okay. I think we were about um, yeah, I was to 10, 20 days past conception. Yeah. So I was kind of like, like really focusing on that seventh week there where you get that like distinction between basically is TDF present or not, but there's a couple other things that are important in this process. So what if, so what if you, it's not a problem with TDF, like you have TDF, but your receptors for testosterone don't work very well. So that's what's called androgen insensitivity, um, which depending on the amount that the receptor, so you can have like two receptors with zero function. And that means you just don't respond to testosterone. So it's the same as if you had zero testosterone in your body. So these people are born female. They have female looking bodies. They go through puberty, um, but they don't menstruate. They develop breasts. They pretty much indistinguishable um, from other females, Um, but they are technically XY. Um, there was a runner, Olympic runner, whose name I can't remember off the top of my head that had this and was like told, nope, you're man, you're man, you can't have the medal, which is incredibly silly because the chromosome doesn't determine your sex. It's the genes you have and the environment that determines your sex inside the body. Because like having the other thing that can happen is you can have that SRY gene jump onto an X chromosome, as we talked about with the crossing over when your genes all, when your DNA all lines up. So you can have that sry gene on an x chromosome and then that now you have a child that inherits that so they're xx which you're like they should be female right because they're xx um but no they have that region so they become male for anyone interested the uh the athlete in question was castor semenya semenya from south africa okay Uh, if anyone wants to go look that up Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I just remember talking about her in the class I did about this. Um, so, yeah, so that my, one was interesting because we in I mean, I remember taking anthropology mm-hmm. uh, in school and that being used as a uh, evidence that um, that sex is construction. We it doesn't matter. Male and female don't really matter. You you have this uh, ambiguity here, which means that the whole deck of cards is wrong. And I think what that point is doing is seeing the it's complicated black box. And instead of saying it's complicated, let's try to figure it out. They just say it's complicated so nobody can know. Which is kind of lazy, in my opinion. Like, there's more to it than just, oh, they're XX and they have Venus, so they're actually a woman. Also, 
sex and gender don't matter. Like that's not the point to make here. That's not the point I'm trying to make. I'm trying to make the point that it is complicated, but we can try to understand some of it. Um, and so our male, so I think one of the things here is that we're, uh, especially in that particular anthropology class, Hmm. the, um, ideas of male and female themselves were being called into question. Mm -hmm. Are these, now these are culturally developed ideas because we literally have to make a word for them, male, female, these are English words, Mm -hmm. Um, but they do have analogs in other societies. So even though they're culturally constructed words, um, I'm not willing to think that these well they still have present a, biological realities they still have a basis in in reality like there's a word for glass most languages have a word for some sort of drinking receptacle mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that glasses aren't real or glasses aren't the same as cups like they're words and they have meaning but like and they have cultural meaning but they are based in something that actually exists right so and it's about this time when that distinction uh, becomes apparent in the uterus, is what you're saying. Yeah, it's so it's not always. So I've been talking about like examples of um, so the, the terminology used now is disorders of sex development, which also there's some arguments against because it specifically says disorders. Um, I'd make an argument that some of them are like actual like medical issues that have other things like salt wasting and issues and some of them are more just infertility and ambiguous genitalia which isn't really as bad uh but there's like a whole like there's lots of things that are called a disorder that aren't necessarily like bad it's kind of just it's a medicalized word but um right well the also, other thing is that yeah you have this idea of a disorder now yeah. you are for some reason, there's some process, some chemical process happening there, which uh, changes the way that the cells that will become the adult you are formed and affect yeah. how that changes the way that you function in a certain way. But that doesn't mean that you aren't you, and that doesn't denigrate the idea that even though this happened to you in utero, um, you aren't able to live you know, your life. Yeah, Unless exactly. you are, I guess, as maybe a scientist would call it, non-viable, and you literally can't live your life because... You it, don't have a life. That's kind of what that means. You're not alive. Um, the, I just want to talk more about... Sorry, I'm just going to jump back for a second. The word disorder kind of falls from the old biomedical model mm-hmm. where you're kind of like, this is an ideal human. This is what you should be like. If you are not like this, there is something incorrect and wrong. So that's kind of an old model, old way of looking at medicine. Um, right. We're definitely coming away from that quite a bit. Just like looking at things is like, at some point things become like, yeah, there's a problem. Your fasting blood glucose is three times what this person's is. Like that's an actual problem. And sometimes there's just like variation that isn't really that important. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's also like even something like bipolar disorder is called bipolar disorder, but some people with bipolar, when they go into their like hypomania, which is like mania, but less severe, they get like the most work done. They work like 23 hours a day. They're like super hyper vigilant and they like run the society. Like, is that a disorder? 
Yeah, like, it's, it's kind like of a pointless I, conversation. It's like my ADHD when I go into the bush. Uh, <laughs> it's like all of a sudden my ADHD becomes very much an asset and I can pay attention to every single leaf in the forest for some reason. But it's, it can be like an asset if you're like a hunter gatherer society and you have people that are like more vigilant. But then right. when we try to sit you down in a school when you're eight years old and you can't sit still, like that's not an asset anymore. Yeah, but like, vibrating. is it a disorder? Probably not. But then is it still called a disorder? Well, the DSM is another whole problem. The diagnostic and statistical right. manual or whatever it's called. Um, everyone that reads the diet the DSM has some sort of mental health disorder because that's how it's written, but that's another problem for another day. So I think this, the way they try and define the disorder though is or the dysfunction is based on whether or not it impedes your ability to function at a normal rate that would be expected otherwise. I think that's sort yeah, of how okay, fair enough. So it's right. only dysfunctional if it's creating dysfunction. Right. So yeah. and on multiple levels. So um Yeah, you so have there's like something a like partner. Tourette's which makes it very it's it's not really a dysfunction it just makes it kind of hard to work with in a public setting um and but then you get someone who's born without legs and that's a that's a very physical uh mm -hmm. disadvantage uh to that particular person yeah um <clears throat> so these things have multiple but now i kind of want to bring it back and we have these categories of um male and female which um appear to be uh biological and then defined culturally um that um really we saw them like you're a male or a female but now we're seeing and the word keeps getting passed around a lot nowadays is the word spectrum and we've used it on our channel before a couple times uh I think Chris is particularly fond of using it, especially with <laughs> politics, but um, it is a very useful word um, where you have, uh, instead of, you know, uh, this Boolean value, you have a, um, you it's a have bimodal. It's like for sex, especially it's very much bimodal, like 98% of the population. I pulled that number out of my, could you head. go into bimodal? Uh, what that means but it just us? it basically it's just two peaks so you have like a huge peak by like where like your traditional female would be and a huge peak by where your like traditional oh. man is and then there's like other people that are in the middle so like so like two bell so. curves and yeah, the reason like, why i use the word spectrum instead of gradient is because a gradient implies a certain incline a gradient is unidirectional where it's, yeah mm -hmm. yeah so that's why spectrum is used because it implies that there's a bandwidth alongside the uh the distribution implies more than one dimension basically yeah, yeah. um well even yeah, on that so, you get people that are in the middle but then on the same time you find people that are like men that are like wait like represent like an over masculinity or a over femininity uh but at the same time you have people that don't really register well and then there, there's also something to be said as a difference between like you are like very you're female everything about your anatomy is female you have like female like anatomy everything is definitely that but you have like lots of very traditionally masculine traits like you're still like a biologic you still were like 
you're biological you were born as a female but like just because you have masculine traits like they're, they're not exactly the same is my point right and i think we also confuse what are uh masculine and feminine traits as well because um, there's definitely variation in that playing well. certain video games i guess but that's not really like yeah like it's play play video games it's like no a lot of girls play video games too yeah <laughs> or well, but then uh, you think we should only running. use those descriptions when they're statistically relevant though like youtube Thank videos you. if you look up how to that's like more than 90 per, or more than 80 percent for sure i can't remember the exact figure but youtube offers these statistics so they're open to the public mm-hmm. that men will look up coding videos and women will look up cosmetic videos like they're they're yeah like there's definitely different videos is probably negligible whether they're male or female but with cosmetics specifically it's mostly female and with how to code is specifically mostly male yeah fair enough, or yeah. you go on and how do i uh fix my drill or something and it's gonna be a guy in his shop or yeah but there is well with that in any of these male like our female uh, things that we traditionally see as them, there's always overlap. Um, always. I believe that your, well, even recently, uh, your instructor for your, um, that uh, firearm safety course that you went to was female, which isn't usually expected. Um, you have mainly, uh, you have a lot of this, these kind of things. There's always a, um, an outlier in every category and this isn't an uh, evidence well, we're of people we're not exactly like, we're, we're allowed we're to humans like... we like different things and there's always going to be ladies that want to work in the oil fields even though it's like traditionally a more masculine job and there, there are more men that work in the oil fields here but there's always going to be women that are attracted to jobs like that and do well in jobs like that yeah um and that's not doesn't have anything to do with their chromosomes or their hormones or anything so that that was kind of the point i was trying to make um i can like bring it back so i was talking about androgen and sensitivity and i was talking about what we call like complete androgen and sensitivity where like the um the runner that we were talking about earlier where they're just like female total most of them identify as female but like that's not always Again, I'll get into that in a moment. Um, you So then you can have like partial and mild andro- um, androgen insensitivity. And this just means that you might have, so you get like two copies of everything, right? So you might get one copy that works well and one copy that's completely dysfunctional. Or you might get two copies that kind of work. Um, so it just depends on what exact variation you have. But if you've got partial, you're going to be like a lot more, you'll get, like ambiguous genitalia when you're born, you won't menstruate, um, you won't have like the female structures, but you won't have like, you only have like partially developed like the Wolfian structures, the more male structures. So like something like that is a lot more ambiguous. Um, and individuals that have this can um, identify male or female or sometimes neither. Um, so this is where it starts to get a little bit more complicated when people are like very much in between and like everyone that has like partial androgen insensitivity syndrome will be a little bit different and you'll treat them differently depending on what they want. Um, so there was a big in like the 60s when they started working, they were the idea was very much that like having that having like ambiguous genitalia and this sort of like, I don't know what gender the baby is, was like bad and they thought that that was terrible 
that anyone that had to live a life like that was horrible. So what we should do is we should make them either male or female. And it was basically kind of left up to the parents, but also surgeons. And like they'd look at do some genetic testing. But I mean, again, they were really only looking at chromosomes because the they didn't really have the ability to, to do as intensive genetic testing as we have now, just technology changes. Um, so they'd be like, yep, they're XX. So just make them into a female. And like a lot of these kids were really unhappy. They would have like long like pamphlets that they would give people about like how to lie to your child about how they were born. And like, it was just not overall not really a good idea because you're just taking all the choice away from this person. And then sometimes the surgeries that they would do on, like if they decided to, and like they would use silly things like the size of their penis when they were born to be like, yep, it's too small. So we're going to make this into a female, <laughs> which is like really messed up. And then say yeah, that ouch, kid. Eh? Like talk about yeah. like, this <laughs> like guy's self-esteem by qualifying him as a female for having too small of a penis. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then they would do the operation. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard about the operation that is done for like trans women, um, but they kind of cut it up and then like invert it. Um, so they would do this to a baby um, and then raise it as a female, like wearing dresses. And like this was the 60s. So they'd be like, you know, you're talking about John toys. Mooney, right? Or John Money? Um, perhaps. I didn't... The doctor's name? I think... There was, like, some John Hopkins University, something that I was hearing about. Um, so I'm not exactly sure where. Like, some of this I remember from my degree and some of those I read about in the last few days. So, like, <laughs> if I knew where I knew everything I know from, I wouldn't know as much. <laughs> but, um... Because we so, have, uh... I look at looking this up... Uh, just quickly, we have John Money and David Reimer. Okay, who yeah. Who were doing the first uh, gender reassignments. Yeah, so they were, like, advocating for, like, we should, like, just, and we should just make them something, whatever is, like, easier to surgically do. Or sometimes the parents would be like, no, I really, really want to have a son. So then they would just, like, make it into a boy. And, like, a lot of the kids were pretty unhappy because they were, well, they were being lied to, really. And um, sometimes you chose wrong. So they'd be, like, 15 and be like, um, yeah, I'm definitely a woman. And they're like, well, too late. <laughs> so um, nowadays the idea, and I, like, just because I don't want people to, like, have the wrong assumptions about how it's treated nowadays, I did actually go on to, like, resources that I have access to through, through pharmacy about, like, current medical like what's recommended for doctors um, and like very much the recommendations now are in what we call shared decision making, which is basically just sitting down with the patients and the patient's parents, family and saying, look, here's the facts. Here's your options. Here's the pros and cons of these options. What do you think? And if they say, I have no idea, then you can make a suggestion and you're working with the patient to like try to figure out what the best idea is. Um, this is something that's very, very much being pushed in classes and schools now and medical professions is just to like, instead of just saying, like walking into the office and just being like, yep, here's your drug kit, go home, bye. You really want to sit down and say like, this is how this drug works. Like, this is how this other option works. Like, what would you prefer? Like, would you rather like have a drug that could make you gain weight or have a drug that could make you sleepy every day? So you kind of like are involving the patient a lot more. And that's kind of what the idea is now. Um, Cause like the steps that you would want to do if a baby is born 
um there are and like you're not like they have like ambiguous genitalia or like some sort of like sex development thing going on like you really have to sit down um the other point i wanted to make is i wanted to talk about cah it's congenital adrenal hyperplasia this is the most common cause of ambiguous genitalia um and this like you're missing at one and there's a few different mutations that it could be but you're missing an enzyme in like creating steroid hormones um so you have end up having deficiencies in different steroid hormones which includes your sex steroids but also includes your like cortisol and fludrocortisone which is like a mineral corticoid that regulates salt in your body so um babies with this can have what we call salt wasting so they have really really low sodium um which leads to low water as well and dehydration um they can also have like issues like issues relating to the um less cortisone as well like they just won't be feeding they'll be sleeping they they could die from this so this is like really really serious so when kids are um if a kid presents with like ambiguous genitalia they're always tested for this first just to make sure that they don't have these other hormonal issues as well because it's treatable you basically just have to give them pills for the rest of their life um and like the the pills are kind of because i'm in pharmacy school i have to talk about them a little but like they're kind of like a bit annoying because you have to change the amount of dosing depending on activity so your fludrocortisone which is related to like holding on to salt and water in your body um if it's like 40 above and you're working outside you have to take a lot more because you'll have too much salt loss otherwise um and oh, that is the cah then a gene or is it an enzyme that triggers cah the- is the name of the condition um there's a few different mutations and there's like they all have silly names um it's like uh give me a sec so it's not like the name of a process or of a, oh, it's, a string or anything, right? It's because it's um, like the metabolism or like the, the metabolism to make these hormones. There's like different enz- enzyme pathways, so it's like problems with those enzymes. So you have, I think one's like twenty-one hydroxylase or something is. Well, I think that's the most common one, um, and then there's just other ones in the process. But depending on like which enzyme in the process and like how bad the deficiency is, like do you have like one copy that's just completely useless you have one copy that like works a little bit um and yeah so like how and the other issue is that it is x-linked so that means it's on your x chromosome um some one of them at least one of the genes is on the x chromosome there are other ones that are not on the x chromosome so again it's like a family of genetic diseases that present similarly um this happens relatively frequently where like the the disease looks the same so you classify it all in the same group and then you do more research and find out it's actually like several different genetic anomalies that's causing it but um so in in talking about all these interactions sorry if i keep stopping you but i'm just trying to get a experimental picture of it um from my understanding most of these molecules interact with locking key mechanisms like where one has an opening that only fits a certain other opening and that's how the mm-hmm. the two enzymes or whatever bind one set of solutions to another set of solutions is that always the case is it always like a, a so problem in, with the lock and key combination or in this case well it's not always um because you can get like things that so basically these these enzymes that are making 
involved in the process. So you have your like molecule that you're trying to make in a steroid molecule. It's got a four ring structure. It's very distinctive, but it's like all the stuff on the outside of that four ring structure is different for each one. But basically that fits perfectly into an enzyme, like active site is what it's called. And then the active sites makes the molecule sit in such a way that the reaction that you want to happen happens exactly the way you want it to. So then that like allows it to move on to the next step. But so the, it's almost like its physical form is determining the actual response action. That's that exactly works. what it is. Structure determines function with proteins. That's like drilled into our mind that like the and if so if you get like one change, like one different amino acid. So I didn't really talk about amino acids, but um, proteins are made of amino acids and like the DNA like codes for like here I want an alanine, then I want like whatever other I can't think of it, valine here and then whatever. You just keep adding more amino acids into a chain and then the chain has to fold um, into a very specific way, which is a complex process. Um, very complex process that um, we'll be talking about we'll that talk in an about upcoming it. episode of Neural Nets actually. Oh, exciting. Foreshadowing. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, they had that new AI come along that's really, yeah, really sweet. Um, yeah, so anyway. Um, so you can eat, so if you have you can if you have like something wrong in the active site, then the enzyme is just not gonna work at all. So let's say you have a diff the wrong amino acid like on the other side, and it was like supposed to be a basic acid and now it's an acidic acid. Like that's a huge that's a problem. But I I know saying basic acid doesn't make sense, but like the, the they're called simple acid they're called the, they're still called amino acids but like they're they use an acid-base reaction to like hold themselves together and then like they have another part coming out of it that determines the different structures and sometimes they have like an acidic group and sometimes they have a basic group and that also determines the structure of the protein and like the function as well but like if you've got like a really wrong thing on the other side it might affect the folding of the protein so maybe it doesn't fold quite right but it's still close enough that it can kind of do its job but poorly it's just kind of gimpy yeah it's just gimpy and there's other ones that you have that you can like get a stop code on is what it's called so basically you 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 might have like i don't know like 80 amino acids in this gene but the third one is just actually a stop now. So you just create these like this chain of two that just gets eaten up. So that's like it's the stopping too quickly. So that's completely not functional. Is that um, similar to acting like a telomere? Not really. Um, telomeres are like big, long things that are on the end of your chromosomes that just prevent it from getting eaten and falling apart. Um, so... It's, so those are more like knots or braids? We're, well, we're talking, like, telomeres are, like, on the structure of chromosomes, and right now we're talking on the structure of individual genes. So um, tiny fractions of chromosomes. Then. You do actually have, because you're, now we're getting more into virology here, but, like, your body doesn't like random RNA floating around, uh, because viruses often use RNA, um, so it'll chew it up. So basically any RNA that's coding or, like, useful and necessary in your body is, like, specific so like your messenger rna which will code for the protein will have like a bunch of a's on the end and we'll have a cap on one side so that your body doesn't chew it up right away um it's a viral defense mechanism but that's different from a stop in what way like can you compare those two um because a stop just basically tells the the machinery the translation machinery which is your ribosome and your ribosome basically just it reads your the mrna and then puts the protein together 
Um, and the stop codon just tells the ribosome to go away. So your mRNA is still there, but it's just instead of saying put an alanine here, it says, okay, my protein's done now. So then the machinery just leaves. And now your protein is two amino acids long and is just going to get chewed up. The rest is scrapped or is it reused? It'll, it's reused. Everything's reused. Oh, cool. <laughs> Until it can't be. And then it's still. And then you just poop it out, I guess. <laughs> Do we poop out our bad DNA? Like, sounds like a stupid question, but... DNA has a lot of bacteria in it, and because bacteria cells are small, they have a lot of DNA. So you do poop out a lot of DNA and a lot of. That's just, a like, really cool fact. <laughs> if nothing else, I take away from today. You also that's what I'm you also remember. can't eat bacteria because there's so much DNA. It's too nitrogen rich, um, which is why bacteria is not a good source of food. <laughs> which is unfortunate because it would be a great source of food if it could be. Yeah, it's just we can't handle all the nitrogen in it. There's just too much. So, because <laughs> uh, DNA is very nitrogen rich. That's, yeah. Um, yeah, where was I? So, yeah, I was talking a little bit about CAH. Um, the changing in, yeah, okay, I was talking about just like it's kind of, it can be like kind of annoying to manage because if you're like sick and throwing up, then you have to take more medication. So, just you have to like have a good understanding of the, disease and how it works and like how your medications work because like if you're throwing up and you need cortisol to be in your body when you're fighting infection like more cortisol so you might have to like use injectables when you're sick like it's just it's can be complicated right but this is only one possible um yeah i'm just the, the point i want to make is that sometimes disorders of sex development aren't just disorders of sex development there's also other parts to it that's mm -hmm. all I'm trying to say, really. And I'm just interested in this. That's the other reason I'm talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, where did you want to go next? Um, so I can... I, we did touch on it earlier, but I just kind of wanted to go back to some of the talks about doing... Because we were talking earlier about, like, in the 60s and earlier, we used to want to perform surgery on kids with, like intersex or ambiguous genitalia so that was there was like a little list in one of the resources i found of like doing it early or waiting so um and i will just like point out at the beginning that sometimes you have to do surgery because like they can't pee and like right so you mentioned you need to do that you mentioned intersex what is this because i've heard of this um a lot lately uh yeah, so in, um, like, especially in the last um, six months in particular, I've been hearing intersex this and intersex that as if it's, yeah, um, it's this like new more thing of a layman's term. About. It's more of a layman's term. It is still used, but like the medical term is the disorders of sex development. But like a lot of the advocacy organizations are calling themselves intersex because it's a little bit, again, we talked about like using the word disorder. Um, so that's kind of one of the concerns from there. Um, so but it is, a... it just, it basically intersex just means, um, just something abnormal with the sex development. Okay. So it, it could that's... even be like, there's some, um, like things like you can't make dihydro, dihydrotestosterone, which is a more potent version of testosterone. And it, like if you can make some but not a lot you have like almost no symptoms and you might just be oh that's not the right one but there are some 
um, diseases that qualify as intersex that basically just mean you're infertile and you have like no other symptoms. Yeah, because it looks, it yeah. seems here that um, the amount, like it says, there's a lot of um, different types of intersex yeah. uh, that are under the definition. And that changes, I guess, based on how you're approaching it or you, what you want to accomplish. Because it depends on what exactly the, your definition is. The numbers is, seem yeah. to change between 0.018% or 1.7% of yes, the population. Yes, I found that statistic earlier and I didn't use it because I wasn't exactly sure. Um, I, I figured it was one of those cases of different definitions, like the very small number might be like just cases of like ambiguous genitalia, like yeah, those even... seem to be point oh two to point oh five. But the yeah. I feel like we here's a dis- this is a distinction between um, the biological approach to the topic and a more uh, cultural or political approach, which definitely seems to be changing how we're even approaching or talking about um, the thing that uh, the, um, mm-hmm. I guess, sex difference in, in particular, because it is, it is, it is definitely has a uh, complication. Or it's complicated and it t- tends to be a bit ambiguous, but at the same time, people seem to be able to redefine their terms in order to suit their needs, uh, whatever those are. Um, There is definitely like some politics, but like the thing is, it's also like you, it's very hard to conduct research into like this area because it's all going to be observational because obviously you can't do any like randomized control trials with, this because you can't be like yeah we're gonna raise this group as men and this group as women like that's not something you can do that's You've messed up individuals do that with their children which yes but now it's not a controlled circumstance so right. the and data it's still is unethical even though people do it <laughs> well they, yeah. they claim it to be ethical because i guess uh if you follow something like um uh zimmerman then we're just changing the gender and the sex doesn't matter because look at um, that South African athlete. So it doesn't matter what we raise them to be. They can just, if it doesn't so work, we, they can just change it later. There was, that was like an old argument again from when they were just changing genders. Cause they had this idea that like it's gender is a hundred percent nurture. That yeah, was their idea. So, so what they were that, doing is they yeah, were so that actually, if I could get into that uh, particular that comes from an old idea uh, known as um, the Saphir Wharf principle, where um, you have this idea that people using different languages uh, see the world in different ways because the language itself creates a different conception of reality. Therefore, if you use different words, you can change your conception of reality, which that was in, I think, the 30s or 40s. And this led into... Uh, the um, uh, Zimmermans and uh, Candace West, Don Zimmerman and Candace West doing gender, where you have this cultural gender, which is uh, linguistically created. Um, and then, you know, it's just what well, we're calling, we're, we're linguists, but like ling- language is just uh, uh, semiotic, so it's symbolic. And so, you know, something like a dress is, you know, something that a uh, girl does or says is a symbol of their thing. So they're performing this. 
Now that turns into, you know, Judith Butler, who would come and say that, no, 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 it doesn't matter. We can just, you know, this is a fluid thing. It's they're they're separate. And then you know, it snowballs from there. So you have this idea that all you have to do is change your kids conversation that they're having with the world. And then they can, can change their, uh, the reality of themselves. Yeah. So, like that's kind of the, like, that's a simplification. I'm saying, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you though. Um, the, uh, they would say like, well, it doesn't really matter what they were born or what the thing is. It's just like they'd say like this one, we've decided, the surgeon basically decided that they should be a male based on that they're XY and that their penis isn't too small. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah. And so raise this one as a male, um, give them like, you know, dinosaur toys, put them into sports, you know, do all the traditional male stuff that they would have done in like the 60s and 70s and they'll be fine but the problem is that it's not just nurture and we know this because like one of the most striking and obvious points is that 90 like 98 99 percent of people are cisgendered <laughs> so yeah like most but even, can't there can't there be a wait and see approach to this? So, you know, you don't. That, immediately... that is the approach now, which oh, yeah. is so it's fix like any trucks um, and dresses and see which one they like ignore. <laughs> basically, well, actually, the way that it works now is they, first of all, rule out any of the like more pressing concerns, like if they're having like the salt wasting or the cortisol deficiency. So things that will. Um, like, yeah, it's always mortality. medicine rule number one is rule out all the really bad stuff. Um, so. Try it. So then figure out like what exactly is causing the problem. Then what you're going to do is um, you're going to so, do a pelvic ultrasound to look for which structures are present. You're so, also going to do a lot of genetic testing to see what exactly is going on. And then based on the evidence, you're going to basically assign a gender is usually what happens. So they'll say like raise them as female, most of the genetic evidence and like their physical structures that are present lead them to be feminine. So probably raise them as female. And then usually the idea now is you could try. You, it's really like, again, the shared decision making thing where you discuss with the parents. But like the idea now is often to like hold off any like plastic surgery sort of type stuff that you would do to like make the genitalia look more like a normal man or woman until the child is like old enough to know. And sometimes this might involve like using puberty blockers. Does um, the, does it, you know anything about how much it manifests? Like if, if the kid goes outside and grabs a stick and starts hitting stuff, it's probably going to lean towards You know what? Male, it's, I if, grabbed sticks and hit stuff too. So it's, but like, um, I mean, I mean like that's just a minor example. You might, of, you know what? Like, honestly, I think become, it could it would depend on the kid. Like some kids are like pretty much like very much math, traditional masculine stuff. Some kids only want to play with dolls, but like you, you might know, but like ultimately the idea is that it should be up to the individual. So the idea is to not do like do surgeries that need to be done to like make them able to urinate to like make it so that it's not going to like have any infection or issues or anything like that correct Something any other issues and then make, save the sure cosmetic stuff and then save the cosmetic stuff for when they are old enough to decide for themselves right would there also be complications with doing cosmetic uh yes. stuff before um a body is uh fully formed 
Well, surgery <laughs> always has complications. No matter what surgery it is, there's always a complication. You're cutting your body open. Because I can imagine um, going from this to full-size Jordan would uh, change the stuff. Like, my body's not just going to be yeah, like, okay, like, we're doing this now. So it can affect, like, this is just what I saw of, like, doing early, early surgery. You could get, they, they could, like, need later surgery in adolescence from, like, vaginal stenosis if you're like doing operations for some like making a vagina basically um it could have some scarring it could affect their sexual function and ability like their arousal ability um could lead to like urinary issues incontinence as well so um and some of the like more plastic surgery type more cosmetic surgeries are like very hard if not impossible to reverse so if you do a cosmetic surgery to like well i mean it if you if they were like if you did a cosmetic surgery to make it look like a female right you did the like inversion type surgery there's a name for it that i can't remember right now but um that you can't really reverse that so you that's not something that you want to do when they're a baby the other thing though i will say that's might be nice about doing it early is that now you don't have to get a major surgery on your genitalia when you're like 16 and going through puberty and in high school, because like that could be pretty traumatizing as well. Um, More and, than just a little, I think. <laughs> and like, if you have like parent, like it might help the parents feel better if they're like not raising a kid that might have like all this stuff. The kid might like, and like kids are assholes. Like, I'm not the first to say this, but kids are assholes. And if they're gonna, if they like find out or like you do something weird, they're gonna bully you. So, um, it might like help with that if you're just like raised as a traditional female and you're given the surgery already early that might help with bullying but again this is kind of this is why we have the idea of shared decision making you sit down and you say like what do you want to do let's talk about the options talk about pros and cons and like again i just like listed some random complications but it would depend on the exact surgery the exact structures that are present like um all like different factors that um a surgeon would know and not me so it's complicated you're saying yes that is what yeah. i'm saying and like i just yeah the, the point was i just wanted to emphasize is that like we're getting better yeah so and i making... think there's something to be hopeful about here well, we seem to be like, they seem to be um, like people being able to make nuanced decisions, at least in our yeah. society. But um, we have um, now, why would, uh, but like you have that idea of like, you know, bullying, but then nobody should be able to be subject to bullying. So we need to make it so that everyone understands this. But um that's almost a simplification of it. Well, I don't want my kid to be bullied, but I also want them to, you know, live the perfect life. We all want our children to live the best life they can, but that's straight up not going to happen um, for anybody. Uh, so you have to give your kid the best chance they can. And that takes a very long drawn out process of research and decision-making on the, on the, uh, um, on the part of the, the parents. Um, uh, they're not many expected of whom, to well, make Well, many of whom the parents, plan. well, the parents and the, the doctors involved may also not be the best exemplars of virtue themselves. Um, 
And so you naturally, I guess, get this persecution complex on that side. But um, I don't really know where I want to take this from here. But I, I've definitely seen a lot of, um, from, I guess, a lay perspective, we get an idea that, you know, you should, there's a lot of people seeing that the need to change from one thing to another. Uh, and almost like, it seems like it's sometimes society is just being told that they all need to just switch sides. Um, I, I think the point that I've kind of been wanting to make throughout this is just that you should try to understand. And mm-hmm. like the, the thing with this topic is that it, there is ambiguity and there will continue to be ambiguity because it's like, will we ever know exactly what's going on to every detail? And will we know like which socially is more likely to cause harm or cause benefit? We'll probably know more later, but for now we're working with what we got and we're just trying to do the best that we can for the kids. Like, cause at the end of the day, this is a person that it's this baby is a person and they're going to grow up to be a person. And we want them to be as successful as possible. We want them to be happy and contribute to society and like not be so bogged down by this thing that they were just born with because everyone's born with some crap, but (laughs) we want them to try to be as happy and good as possible. Right. That's kind of the idea. There's two things I'd like to maybe pick your brain about then just on your, on your professional, quasi professional experience so far. Mm -hmm. Um, The first being, The, um, I have this, I'm not sure if I'm like married to the idea, but I have this idea that youth is a good time. If you're ever going to be bullied, youth is probably the best time in your life to be bullied. And I would say that because everybody's coming from a common ground of ignorance and everybody around you is kind of watching and learning how to socialize at the same time. So it's kind of a good place for, for gender talk and bullying. But on the same token, I don't want to assign this to our teachers. So I I have like a couple points to make based on that. So first for like minor things. Yes. For being pushed in the dirt every day and being called a piece of crap. Like that's going, it's like when you are developing, when you're developing your coping mechanisms, like you're even younger than like you, when you're developing your coping mechanisms, when you're like very young and watching your parents, like you need to have, uh, you need to learn how to cope with emotion because well, there's actually like a lot of really interesting research into what they call adverse childhood experiences and how those are related to like tons of different diseases, um, lots to do with inflammation, like substance use, um, like depression, basically every <laughs> um, psychiatric disorder um, can be related yeah, to having these experience. Yeah, like, and well, the, the really interesting thing is the link between depression and inflammation is like that um like basically every inflammatory disease is comorbid with depression which is really interesting and depression is very frequently comorbid with bowel dysfunction which is really interesting to me yes um yeah definitely and i think even things like rheumatoid arthritis um and like multiple sclerosis are like very very highly correlated as well it's like it's part of the like basically when a person comes with like new multiple sclerosis you like basically do an assessment for depression along with the diagnosis like it's just part of the process now so i, I do want to clarify i'm not talking about abuse i'm talking just yeah bullying. okay like yeah somebody being one-off comment making a slight joke here and there it is bullying but it, there's yeah this, i don't it's, mean abuse because nobody a, should yeah. abuse. 
yes i uh, i just i wanted to clarify that too as no, well. but like the thing point. is is that kids are so easy to teach they want to learn their brain is like made to learn whereas when you're an adult you kind of get stuck in your ways you can still change but it's harder right and i hear that like but, you have uh, plastic like your brains are plastic they can change they can do different things but it's harder <laughs> it's just more difficult Whereas a kid, because I've already got a structure built yeah, in my brain, built and this, I'm building yeah. onto that structure or within that structure. Yeah, like I've I've studied a lot of history and I've studied a lot of stuff. But if I want to go, every time I go and learn some coding, my brain's just like, "Why are you doing this to me?" But I'm like, "No, we need to learn this." Uh, yeah. But I can. But I I still generally will push myself, although that enthusiasm for the unknown because there's more unknown when you're a kid definitely helps uh, well, it's although not just i don't because there's i'm not a person that subscribes to oh i'm old so i can't learn technology and i'm just like well, my dad learned how to use a computer before i did so i don't know what your excuse is but yeah it, it's just that's what i mean is you you can like it's like languages are a really good idea like you can if your kid has like a spanish nanny your kid can learn spanish like very quickly and easily but, the if, interesting thing but like, that, if I start living with a language. Spanish person, I'm not going to pick up Spanish nearly as quickly. But anybody who's a poly, whatever they call that, um, linguist, polyglot, yeah, they can learn fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth yeah. languages more easily. Yeah, so and they have less chance of getting dementia. The one exposure, it's just the fact that your brain is exposed to more sound, lets it be exposed to even more sound later on. And like, so once think, you like, have. Our, our culture of expertise is what's causing this age we can't learn anything past a certain age idea yeah i think that's more a product of specialization in an economy than anything else i don't want to learn anything new rather than yeah. I don't, well I we train our brains new. not to learn new things to specialize to right. only learn this one thing really well because it matters to us for so much of our lives like during school then testing then our first job then impressing the boss then getting promoted it's like our brains are wired to the function that provides us the most reward, right? Well, if you hear something you don't like or agree with or understand, you feel bad. It's like, oh, I got to get back into my what I know that 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 surety of the familiar. Yeah, Plus, I don't get that. It invigorates me every time I hear something I don't expect. I get excited as if I was five years old again. Like I just yeah. want to learn everything. <laughs> well, we've probably almost been conditioned by that because we've kind of been in that liminal space ourselves um where you you know kind of not quite an outcast of society but not really in the on the a team where we've known that like it almost trained ourselves to be like i need to get better and better and better but then it became habit and then it became pleasure to just find new different things that we could use because we didn't really ever fall into a stride of um, this is what works. This is what makes the gets the bread at home. So uh, uh, this is all I'm going to do. This is all I need to know. Uh, that's all I need. That's all I know. And we never really fell into that because, well, we couldn't. <laughs> so that being said, Megan, what's your opinion on the youth's impressionability and how we should go about educating them on gender roles? Jordan liked that. Um, so. I just, mm, it's difficult and it's complicated because there are, like, I strongly believe that we shouldn't teach kids things that we don't, as fact, that aren't, that we don't know are fact. And that if things are ambi ambi 
ambiguous, we should be teaching that it's ambiguous. So we shouldn't say things like there's a like sex planet. I heard this like your your sexuality is a universe and there's like planets and it was just like completely overcomplicated and like felt like I was 14 and on Tumblr again. Um, (laughs) And like, I don't, I don't think we should be teaching kids things that we don't know to be true. Like we shouldn't say that sex and gender have no correlation because that's not true. Most people that are born female with all the female structures are going to be happy being female. Most people. And so there's a correlation. It's not 100%. There's not an 100% correlation, but there is one. And we shouldn't deny that. Well, and Probability some, like, is not certainty. Yeah. And we also mm-hmm. like we also assume that there's a state in which every... Now, this is going to be dark. Um, but there, we also assume that there's a state in which everyone can be happy. Uh, whereas some people may have the misfortune of having a uh string of um certain disorders that might make it almost impossible to find an equilibrium with which they can become uh happy and like personality disorder well like, it's well, partially that personality but... disorders <laughs> like they all come together disorder i'm talking about yeah yeah well no yeah. there's like there there are some like things that and like again this is often relates to those adverse childhood experiences that i was talking about earlier that like some people it's going to be very hard for them but it's never impossible so um at least i i continue that hope for myself like and uh, of course i'm gonna i i'm in pharmacy school i like drugs so i'm gonna say that there are drugs to help with that but i'm also going to recognize very deeply that drugs are just things and substances that change some receptors and do some things and no drug comes without risks no medical thing comes without risks and um like counseling is like probably more important than drugs for most things um so diet and exercise are probably diet just and exercise important. is not some mystical thing that western medicine doesn't know about everybody that studies medicine knows that diet and exercise are incredibly important um every like pretty much any like pharmacist that you talk to if you say should everyone be taking vitamin d they'll be like yeah probably because like we just don't get enough sun here in canada that like probably everyone should take vitamin D at least in the winter. Cause like you literally cannot make that vitamin D. Even if I were to sunbathe naked at minus 30, which I would not recommend, uh, <laughs> you will not be able to make it just cause there's too much atmosphere basically. So the right wavelength doesn't get through um, that you need to catalyze that reaction. But like, so why are we, anyway. why are we then? Cause we do teach our kids ambiguous things in, in science class. Like, um, yeah. How big is the universe? 13 billion light years? 16 billion light years? I think it's like 98, actually, because it's been expanding for 13 right. billion years. And then there's like a lot that we can't see because yeah. of the way light. But like at the same time, this is a very ambiguous thing, but we're like, it has to have an age and the kids aren't going to be able to abstract this level. So yeah, just that's a number. Well, that's part of the problem is that kids don't develop the ability for abstract thought until they're like a little bit older. And it kind of depends on the kid. Like some kids will get it when they're like nine, some kids it'll take till they're like 12. Like it's just, it's definitely like developing the ability to think in metaphors and abstractly is just not something that, and like some are just 
going to like get a handle on it easier. So like trying to teach a small child about something like really ambiguous, like what we've been talking about, that's hard, but that doesn't mean we should just ignore it. Like we should start with like something like it's complicated just because you were born with this doesn't mean that you're going to be a man just because you were born with vagina doesn't mean you're going to be a female. So you just keep it simple. And then as the kid gets older, you can make it more, add more of the ambiguity. That's generally what, what I think would probably be better. Is that sort of the same approach they use to teach religion to kids where they like simplify the Bible stories when they're young, they don't talk about all the blood and gore and even like science things like you, you start like learning about atoms, but you're learning like the like Rutherford Bohr model and like your start and like, which is like over a hundred years old. And we know even the guys that came up with it like a year later, were like, Oh wait, this only works for hydrogen lol. And, but we, why we're still teaching it in schools. Cause it's simple. And um, so we, it, yeah, it's kind of what you actually, have to do. That, that actually prevents people from learning it well later on. Like if you start it getting can, into yeah. quantum physics and you're still thinking about physical matter as balls and not like wavelengths of energy. Even like I had a really like so orbits. I took I took one like full year of physics at university, like just like the intro courses. And like, man, was it interesting, but I was not good at it. I just had such a hard time wrapping my head around some of this stuff. And like once we started getting into like wave equations and stuff, it was like Okay, that's cool, but what? Like it's and, uh, and then it's iterating complicated. Matrices of other dimensions that store well, matrices, and like <laughs> it's also stupid because when I was in like school, um, I was like really wanted to get good marks, and I like studied too much, so I like learned things that were like not entirely correct, but well. So then my foundation is now like not quite right. So then when I go to university and I'm trying to learn physics, I have like classical. New- newtonian physics so like deeply embedded that when we start throwing in like quantum stuff i'm like what is happening and like i just have a hard time wrapping my head around it but to bring this around though is that like you get this thing where they're teaching you these basics so you can like at least start but then Mm -hmm. if you're teaching them too incorrect then uh you're gonna have these weird assumptions um and that you have to either dispel uh with and the teacher knows that they probably and a good teacher will know that okay here's the thing that we taught you here's the thing that you were supposed to learn out of that and here's the thing that we need to get rid of and replace um and a teacher that knows that will be able to do that but now we're right now we're teaching like you go look at stuff like the gender unicorn or something like that in elementary schools and you're like are you a masculine feminine or other and now what is other is there some third thing that we know some other thing what's even the point of that they actually no i was actually like reading on i was on the like one of the intersex advocacy websites and they were saying that like raising them as a third gender is probably harmful because other people don't understand what that means and it just makes it more complicated and then makes makes you it frustrated well and it it puts them in a special box of like you are this you're different and special from everyone else which is like not always the most helpful way of thinking about yourself. But then there's um, like physical so, attraction and emotional, which is com- apparently completely separate. And then you have yeah. identity and expression. So identify, but then you have all these complications and you're trying to teach these to kids, which these are almost intentionally constructed to be, you know, confusing. Well, um, and the other issue with that is that they're not separate. Like, no. again, there are differences in them. 
but they're not like like for instance i have a friend that's bisexual and she is attracted to females but she never wants to date a female she doesn't want to live with one but she's still attracted to them that's that's the thing that can happen right but the um what was my issue oh i lost my point well it becomes essentially it becomes like right yeah sorry i remember my point sorry um is that it's not there's differences but they're not it's like your mind and body like back in the like the old mind and body days are being separate they're not your thoughts influence your body like it's a complicated relationship and you can think of them as being separate for a metaphor for some states and some diseases and some like things that are going on but at the end of the day they're the same thing and that's that that's the thing with an open debate though a lot of these is that it's and but the thing is that when things are complicated that's hard <laughs> and people like things to be like simple one bit like easy sentences to remember like i want to watch a i want to watch a 20 second video that explains the difference between sex and gender it's like no go away you're not going to learn that like that's not how this this works we can't just like and there's so many things out there that are like that. And at least if you, even if you don't understand them all, if you can at least recognize that there is a complex difference, even if you don't completely understand it, like that's growth and that's better. So, and I think at the, some point that uh, it comes down to, like everyone's trying to fit themselves into a box, but the box is essentially what is it to be you as that individual unit of humanity um not as you know part of a whole because you like which group do you belong to because you know you get these i'm looking at this this one this particular one i'm looking at has uh 12 uh and three other different um variables that when they you put them together you get uh like after like what four variables you get into combinations in the millions and eventually it just becomes you. So why are we not dealing with individuals in when it comes to these issues? Uh, rather than why are we dealing with groups when it we're dealing with individual I think, uh, developmental things? I think one of the issues is that people are not recognizing that it's that this is a tool to help you understand yourself. It's not a label and a box that you can put yourself in. It's just helping you think about what you think about yourself mm-hmm. that's what you're so it's supposed to like run you through a thought process of like okay what am i attracted to what sort of traits do i have like do i like wearing dresses do i like hitting things with sticks what does that mean and it's just like some self-awareness mm-hmm. it's basically trying to teach you like some self-awareness but in a very specific thing and what you're supposed to and i think the point that you want to get out of it isn't i'm a like and you just throw a bunch of words that are like half made up and you get a flag. The point you want to get is that you understand how you work and you don't need to put labels on yourself that just like labels are nice because they're easy like jimmy's a trumpet player okay now i remember who jimmy is and then as i get to know jimmy more then i don't have to just think of him as a trumpet player i know him as more things like they're not just labels anymore. And that's, you shouldn't be thinking about yourself in labels. You should be right. thinking about yourself in a complex way because you are yourself and you're complex. And then the labels, you don't want to limit yourself. Other things that are associated. So trumpet player equals musician 
musician <laughs> equals artist, artist equals liberal voter. It's, that's a bit of a jump, but we, yeah. we do make these uh, irrational uh, uh, associations. And that also, can... trumpet player means obnoxious. <laughs> Deal but, with uh, it, trumpet players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go and at her at the, in the comments or something. Yeah, but fight um, me. <laughs> but the um, I think the other thing is that we have these things that are also well defined now. Anybody can ask themselves, "Do I like men or women?" And they can take a second and be like women and well this is i remember doing this as a as a teenager and being like what am i like do i like men i and i came to these conclusions and i think a lot of this also has to be honesty uh with yourself are you depressed because you aren't eating properly or not getting enough water or are you depressed because you know you are single and not because you know you get these uh, guys who are like, I can't get a girlfriend, therefore all women suck, and therefore... Uh, and then no, they, you I can come up with all kinds of crazy conclusions at like, that point. We've been talking about <laughs> depression a lot, like, in the last semester that I did as well, and, like, sometimes people that are depressed just have, like, these really, like, odd thought patterns, and they get stuck in these, like, weird loops, and they try to talk you through the loops, and you can't really follow them, and you're like, what are you talking about? What's your problem? And then you realize that it's almost a symptom, and there's, like, something else going on, so... Um, a big yeah, part so of treating to... depression and stuff is recognizing those moments because yeah. once you're aware of them, you can sort of compartmentalize things and move off like the irrational ones from the rational ones. But yeah, you can like just like you said, it's supposed mm-hmm. to be like a tool to help you. It's not meant to incarcerate mm-hmm. you into a way of being. Yeah, exactly. That's where people take it too far because I mean, realistically speaking, how often is it actually relevant or useful to know someone's gender? Like meeting Unless you're like trying to table, you might want to say, Oh, which person are you talking? About? It's the woman. You know, there's five people there. One's female. That's mm-hmm. helpful. If I applied yeah. for a serving job at Earl's but or something, it's I'd not meant to be define like, the person. No, I identify as a hot chick. Them in a group. <laughs> <laughs> Cause like there's certain things, but if I'm like hiring a dishwasher, it's like, Oh, you identify as a, I don't care. You've got hands and know how to work a lever. Like, <laughs> Hired. <laughs> and yeah. I think the bigger problem is that we're over attributing gender to things like saying there should be more women in CEO oh, yeah. positions specifically. That's yeah. you're yeah, creating that's... the problem by putting a, a requirement on there arbitrarily. Well, yeah. So my like other other job, like this, or... down, but yeah. like well, like I was talking about earlier with oil fields, like. I have absolutely no desire to work in an oil field. And there's lots of women that also don't want to work in an oil field. And like forcing us, forcing women to like do jobs that we don't want to do, that's not helping anyone. If we start doing this the other way around and say like, we need more male nurses, like what if they don't want to do that? Like men and women tend have tendencies to move into certain jobs and like even in like the most um, like equal countries, like you're looking at like the Nordic countries, like Sweden and all those, um, they they still have like big discrepancies in certain jobs. Like healthcare is like like lots of women, and it used and to be get, like nurses were women and more doctors were men. But like but even like, those like traditional surgeons still pretty masculine. Because but like there's so much competition for it, and all those men just be like, oh, "I gotta be a surgeon," and they'd like push that masculine ambition forward and those kinds of things are so but like at the same time i'm a guy and i could work on an oil field 
I don't want to. Um, <laughs> yeah, and we're like, also partially biologically wired for prestige more than women, right? Yeah. So, like, there are reasons to our motivation that statistically should lend us towards more risky or more anxiety-ridden and like things that go maybe I'll me. maybe I'll get in trouble for saying some of this, but like we are still primates, um, and a lot of the more similar-related primates have like complex social structures with like more male hierarchies and females choosing i'm not saying that's what happens in humans humans all of these sorts of instincts are like quite dulled because of this thing called giant frontal cortex um and being able to think for ourselves but we still have yeah we still have some tendency towards like some hierarchy formation and like some tendency towards like female choice but like again it's a lot more subtle than in any of the other animal groups that exist. Um, so I was thinking then, don't hurt me. This, that might be a good spot to take a break. And yeah. I was maybe going to ask you when we come back from the grape, bleh, the grape, the break, to mm-hmm. do a little bit of a recap just from start to finish. So we know like how atoms form molecules, form uh, proteins, form. Okay. You're probably better at this than me, but. <laughs> But, yep. you know, just the the ground up. And then from there, I wanted to ask you just the only thing I've really read on this subject is a book called uh, Why Gender Matters. By, uh, Leonard Sachs, I think. And they, it talked about anyway, I'll, I'll get into that after. But um, okay. did you have any final comments that you wanted to wrap up your opening? Um, I think we we kind of like covered the like guy rambled on about biology for a while um i talked really fast so sorry lecture um lectured i lectured (laughs) yes um and we kind of were talking a little bit just about how we're talking how people are seeing sex and gender nowadays and how better to talk about it but i think one of our main points was just that stuff is complicated but that's not an excuse you still need to learn about it jordan how about you your mic's off I think uh, it's good to reiterate that this was a, the purpose of all that was to um, emphasize the fact that these are connected and what Megan was describing in her long lecture there, uh, though it seemed complex, uh, that is the basic structures that determine how we manifest after. And that's why these are important, um, because uh, there is, we are our biology, we're not separate from it. Um, uh, I keep thinking back to uh, uh, Harari, where he was saying that there is no mind, there is no soul, there is just us. Uh, and um, this is the basis for the creation of those structures that create these weird conscious creatures that are us, which are so complicated that it doesn't always quite work. Um, and we're all of us, there's not like an ideal platonic human. We're all of us flawed in some way, but we work just well enough to get, you know, the next generation going. And that's what biology wants us to do. But we are definitely creatures that exist beyond biology. And even though that is the basis, we can move beyond, you know, just that. So it's not just, well, we're biologically determined. Well, yes, we are, obviously. But beyond biological determination, um, we can create other meaning for our lives. But 
again, that meaning itself is also rooted in that. So I guess accept that complexity uh, and don't just, you know, figure that you've got it. You're 15, you found this, uh, you know, genderpedia, and now you've figured it out. All you have to do is check uh, which flag means which, and you got it all figured out. Because if you at any point in your life, if you feel like you've got it all figured out, um, that's usually in my life, especially is that that's when you're about to fall off a cliff of ignorance and uh, uh, learn a whole bunch of new stuff, unless you stop yourself and continue to say, I've got it all figured out. So um, the connection, I think, is what is important here. Um, and the multiplicity of connections therein. Well said. So stay tuned. You've been listening to Frivolous Gravitas, and we will be coming at you at part two in a shake.